Paralegals are highly essential from law firms and courtrooms to insurance, real estate, HR, and more. If a paralegal career or law school is in your future, Stevenson University Online's Bachelor's in Legal Studies will help you achieve your goals affordably with no application fee. 100% online, approved by the American Bar Association with new online sessions starting every eight weeks. Get started today. Visit stevenson.edu slash paralegal. Hey, this is Jeff Dornick, founder of the GK Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope that you'll subscribe to this channel and give us a five-star review. You have no idea how much this helps us. Also, if you'd like to watch the full version of the show, you can join our plugged-in membership. For only $10 a month, you'll get access to the live stream and full video versions of our shows, the recordings from the Destroy Social Justice Conference, online access to our book, Social Injustice, our weekly devotional, 30% off in the GK store, and so much more. Please visit gatekeepersonline.com slash plugged in for more information and to sign up. Thank you for your support. Yeah, it's called Conversations with Jeff, not Screaming Matches. Yeah, Yeah, you and I do not agree on Calvinism. But look how nice we are to each other. I think it's going to really shock a lot of people, thrill a lot of people. A lot of people are going to have to do some soul searching. It's like, you know what? What are you doing? You're spending all your time trying to destroy another Christian because you don't understand what's going on when you should be out there winning people for Jesus. Right. Thank you for the job you're doing. Thanks for being willing to address these kind of issues. They're vital to the church. I feel sorry for what's coming your way, but God bless you, man. It's it's a good, healthy conversation, and, and let's keep growing together in the Lord. People won't change unless they hear the truth, though, and so we need to know the truth, uh, speak the truth, and then the last one I would say is that we need to stay in the truth uh, no matter what the consequences are. Okay, everybody, welcome to today's episode of Conversations with Jeff. Uh, glad to be back uh, this week, first episode of the week. Hope everybody had a great Memorial Day. Uh, before we get started, just wanted to remind everybody uh, we about our uh, online store over at gatekeepersonline.com. If you check that out, we've got uh, we've got two books listed in there right now. We've got our first book that we published called Social Injustice. Had a great lineup of authors tackling uh, the issue of social justice. Uh, guys like Brandon Howes, Dr. Andy Woods, Dr. Mike Spaulding, Tom Littleton, Ken Peters, all the GK guys, that sort of thing. So uh, definitely check that out. Uh, then you can also pre-order our upcoming book that we're publishing called Five Steps to Kill a Nation by Pastor Sam Jones, and he's going to be tackling... Uh, the, uh, where where the church and where America has been failing uh, morally and uh, lining up with scripture and the Ten Commandments and that sort of thing. So definitely check that out. If you go to gatekeeper, gatekeepersonline.com slash store, use the code Jeff at checkout for 10% off of anything uh, there. So I'm really excited about uh, today today's guest. We have Gary Wayne joining us. Um, he's the author of The Genesis 6 Conspiracy. Uh, but Gary, I'm so glad uh, you could join us and really been looking forward to this. Well, thank you for inviting me, and uh, yeah, on, same on my behalf, very much looking forward to uh, the things that we're probably going to be talking about, and I think your audience is going to 
you know, hopefully enjoy it as well. And hopefully we raise a little bit of curiosity as, as we go. Absolutely. You know, and I feel like with, with a lot of, uh, kind of the topics that we'll be talking about and that sort of thing, I've had a few different guests on talking about some of this kind of stuff a little bit, but it'd be kind of fun to dive in depth with, like we've had on, uh, guys like Larry Gators and, um, Carl Teichrib and, you know, people like that. And it's, it's been a blast, but really been looking forward to, you know, talking to you about like your book and some of that kind of stuff. But before we really dive into that, I wanted to give you a chance to share your testimony, how you became a Christian and that sort of thing. It's always a great opportunity for people to get to know you in a way maybe they, they hadn't. Yeah, it's a, it's a very good question. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, how people come back to God and how people come back to Jesus and the Holy Spirit, you know, says a lot about in terms of how they come, uh, you know, about Scripture, how they approach Scripture. I think it's one of those most significant events in your life where it just sort of changes things. So, uh, that imprint has a very lang- long-lasting imprint, and it certainly was the case for me. So back in about 1980 or 81, right in that zone, and uh, when I was very young, uh, out of out of school and working, uh, I had left, uh, you know, the roots that I was brought up as in a Christian church. And as you go through high school, um, in education in general, you tend to get brainwashed, you get led away from God in an intentional way as they start to de- sort of discredit the Bible and things like that. So I was sitting around one weekend with my brother and a friend that he had brought over, and we had been tossing back several beers. And at some point, uh, one of them said, you know, well, I just want to know how much courage you have. And I said, that's an odd question like what are you talking about they said well we have this book that we both read and we thought we'd ask to see whether or not you had enough courage to read it because you know it scared the socks off of them stevenson university online is a leader in forensic education for law enforcement legal and cyber investigations if you are preparing for career advancement or career change investigate our online master's programs in forensic science csi forensic accounting forensic investigations and cybersecurity and digital forensics new online sessions start every eight weeks no application fee or gre required visit stevenson.edu slash online no matter if the economy is up or down healthcare careers continue to grow especially in management stevenson university online's masters in healthcare management can put your career on a new track especially for career changers with previous business hr or technology backgrounds discover new opportunities with our healthcare management Masters, no GREs, no application fees, and 100% online. Visit online.stevenson.edu/slash healthcare management. And so I said, Yeah, I'm up for any challenge. You know, what you know could be so difficult with a book. And so they said the book was called The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey. And so I read the book, and it scared the socks off me. <laughs> and But I didn't readily accept it at face value. I thought, okay, it's a good story, but is Hal actually, uh, you know, quoting Scripture in a way that isn't manipulating it? Is it, you know, has he done it in, in an accurate manner? And I was aware of a few verses, but certainly not... Uh, into the detail that you need to understand biblical prophecy. And so I decided I would start to verify the quotes that Hal had put in the book. And then when I found out that 
what he had quoted was accurate, as best as I could tell at that point in time. I thought, that's not enough. I have to find out because I'm, I'm a contrarian, so I have to verify everything for myself. I just don't necessarily accept the standard dogma or what some somebody says something says. So I thought the only way I can actually verify this is to log all of the different prophecy trails that seemingly are in a much greater volume than I had remembered that were in the Bible. And that started me on my track back. And, of course, at a certain point, you start to say, hey, I need to start to make some decisions here. Like, this is making some sense to me. What am I going to do with this sort of cognizant dissonance that was operating in my mind based on the brainwashing that I had received? And there's a point in time where you cross that threshold. And I'm a researcher as well, so... I decided to really take hold of this and just learn more about it. And I became more and more, I guess, I'm sort of obsessed with it as a researcher. And it also matched up very well with my other passions of history and mythology. So I could see connections. I could see different things that were, that were going on. And prophecy became my passion after that. And so that's what brought me back. And after I'd logged everything in files throughout the book, I thought there's probably some books I can write about this, whether or not I ever take them for publishing or not. Um, and that sort of got me to where I decided I'd write a very short book connecting Genesis 6 with the end time because as you log everything in, in the Bible, you quickly run across in Genesis 6 and then after the flood these giant nations that you just first of all sort of say I'm I'm not ready to deal with that I'm going to just sort of brush that off to the side but but when I understood that prehistory the angelic rebellion whatever these giants were demons that Jesus talks about in the New Testament uh, the fallen angels and the rebellion in Revelation there's a connection here that I thought Let's see whether I can, I can tell a story. Let's see whether or not I can get published, and let's just write a short book. Well, somewhere along the road to the Colosseum, so to speak, so to speak, I got tracked, you know, you know, chased down some rabbit holes because I started to think, well, you know, let's put in some things for Christians that maybe they're not quite aware of. Let's connect some dots around the world. And as I started to mix in history and mythology from my other passions and research, that led me into the secret societies, and then I had to dig into that. And so it turned from a what I thought was going to be like a 100-page book or something like that to one that was close to 1,200 pages, but I had, you know, I edited it back to just over 800 just so I could get it published. So that's kind of my story and how I came back. And I still view myself as a contrarian and a researcher, but a Christian researcher and a contrarian researcher. Hey, this is Jeff Dornick, co-founder of the American Conservative Movement. We are an organization seeking to unify conservatives across this great country to defend our constitutional rights that are being systematically stripped away by our authoritarian government. Please visit AmericanConservativeMovement.com and join the thousands of conservatives across this country who have signed up for our email list. Let's take back our country. Yeah, you know, and, and what's what's fascinating, I feel like, is you know, so I've I've had you know, like I was saying before, I've had a few different people on. We've talked some some about like Nephilim. We've talked some stuff about secret societies and things like that. But you know, you were able to make that tie between the Nephilim and you know eschatology, even and and uh, and secret societies. How, how did how did you come to that kind of conclusion of tying something that's in the beginning of Genesis that I feel like what's funny. 
I feel like a lot of people within the Christian church, they kind of just gloss over that. It's like, oh, there was, it was like part demon, part human. Okay. You know, it just happened and we're just going to move along. You know, we don't actually study it. So how did you kind of get to those conclusions? Well, it, it's, it's sort of, uh, back, I sort of backed into it in when, and the thing is, is that when I brushed over Genesis six, you know, one through four, like most people do and just say, yeah, I don't, I don't know what that's all about. But when you start walk, you know, reading about verses on peoples that do not go back to the table of nations in Genesis 10 or first Chronicles, nations that are Rephaim nations and you get Rephaim showing up in Genesis 14 in the War of Giants, for example. And then you have these other nations that are associated with the Rephaim, whether it's the Anakim or it's the Avim or the Horim or the Hivim or the Zamzuzim and on and on and on. None of them go back to the table of nations. And these are described as giants just as Rapha goes back to giants and is the word used in the Bible for giants when you see it in the King James Version, except for Numbers 1333 after the flood. Nephilim's only used three times, twice in Nephilim 1333 and once in Genesis 6-4. So the Rephaim giants after the flood, when you see giants, are representing as a description of these other names that are associated with giants. And then all of a sudden it says, well, you, know, you start to ask yourself, well, how many nations were actually out there that were giant nations and that these Raphaim kings tended to rule all of the nations. And then you start to make that sort of connection and all of them had a pantheon of gods that seemed very, very similar and all of them had this almost identical uh, sun-worshipping polytheism and they all connect their history and religion and organizational structure back to the flood and when you start to backward engineer your way into that and you start digging into mythology their religions all of a sudden mystery schools and secret societies start to enter the discussion and then you learn that masonry which you know most people would understand as freemasonry today but that's more of a modern terminology mason or an ancient mason would be their term they take their history according to albert mackey in the history of freemasonry that he takes a lot of the legends out of the polychronicon that uh, the masonic history is based on he asserts and their legends asserts that the creation of the secret societies came out of the mystery schools with the development of the seven sacred sciences that form the mystical religion. So you have this knowledge cult going right back to the beginning and then the mystery schools being set up to develop the seven disciplines as Enoch son of Cain organized them into and that their societies were begat by the development and research into those those sciences that would then marry up with the illicit knowledge from the fallen angels or in other societies, the secret societies. And then when you look at what's going on there and you look at the other accounts of polytheist religions and mythologies, let's say the Greek mythology, for example, you have Poseidon who marries a human uh, a female in climbing, and or Iapetus does the same thing, but I kind of think they're the same god. But that's 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 a bit of a rabbit hole here. But Poseidon is the god of Atlantis, 
and through his human wife creates 10 Nephilim kings that are going to be considered the helm of world government in the antediluvian epoch. And this is the golden age. And all of a sudden you say, wait a minute, that sounds very, very similar to what's going on in Genesis 6. And then when you understand that these kings usurp the kingships both before and after the flood and they have the same organizational structure, and that's where the secret societies also take their beginnings to in the days of Noah, the days of Jared and Lamech again of the Canaanite line. And people need to have a little bit of refreshing so that they understand where I'm coming from here is that there are two Cains, or there are two Enochs in Genesis, one the son of Cain, one the son of Jared of the Seth line, just as there's two Lamechs. And Lamech has four patriarchs, or not patriarchs, uh, offspring, progeny, and they're called Nama, which is the female, which is noted in polytheism for marrying fallen angels and or giants, and Tubal-Cain, which is the master artificer and one of the great patriarchs of, of the Masonic uh, secret societies, and Jubal, who uh, is the one who did a Renaissance format of the Enochian mysticism and knowledge um, and developed architecture in, in that generation. And then there's also Jubal, that's another one. So four are listed in Genesis, and they're all great patriarchs of the secret societies. That's not a coincidence. And that Gnosticism and secret society is about, is about secret knowledge. That's not a coincidence. So when you start looking at that, or when I start looking at that... Paralegals are highly essential from law firms and courtrooms to insurance, real estate, HR, and more. If a paralegal career or law school is in your future, Stevenson University Online's Bachelor's in Legal Studies will help you achieve your goals affordably with no application fee. 100% online. Approved by the American Bar Association with new online sessions starting every eight weeks. Get started today. Visit stevenson.edu slash paralegal. Stop the hacks. Stop the attacks. Stop the attacks and start taking your IT career to the next level. The Masters in Cybersecurity from Stevenson University Online can keep you one step ahead of the criminals and one step ahead of career advancement. Complete your online degree in as little as 18 months with convenient and affordable classes. Stevenson University Online, your partner for professional success. Visit stevenson.edu slash cyberwar. Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Happy Holidays from all of us at Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC. I need to know more. Hey, Jeff Dornick here. Wanted to let you know about our first book that we published called Social Injustice. We brought together 12 different authors, each tackling a different aspect of social justice and comparing everything with scripture. Whether you want to know more about white privilege, income inequality, LGBTQ issues, illegal immigration, or even just the history of the movement, this book is for you. With authors such as Dr. Andy Woods, Brandon Howes, Thomas Littleton, Dr. Mike Spaulding, Pastor Ken Peters, and all of the GK guys, this is definitely a must-have for your reading list. We are also honored to have the great conservative 
alternative voice, Michael Massey, write the forward to this book. Head on over to gatekeepersonline.com slash store to order your copy of the book and use code Jeff at checkout for 10% off. That's gatekeepersonline.com slash store and use the code Jeff at checkout. Now, back to the show. Yeah, well, you know, and, and again, what's what's really interesting to me is a lot of these kinds of things are things that, I mean, the information's out there, but it's things that Christians and the church oftentimes, like, gloss over. Like, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of, you know, glossing over when it comes to secret societies. There's a lot of glossing over when it comes to things like Genesis 6. And, you know, even when you start getting into, uh, you know, uh, you know, like, even, like, looking at Egypt and you had the, the magicians that were performing magic, people, it's like, within the church, to a certain degree, it seems like, it's like it's there. It's in the Bible. We just accept it and we move on. And we're like, but which, how did that? How did that work out? How does this? How does this play out? Because it's not like we're seeing this every day. And so I've, that's where I kind of find a lot of this kind of stuff interesting and diving into, just because it's it's something that like people don't often talk about within mainstream evangelical sure. circles. So so I think like when we're looking at like the Nephilim tying in with like secret society and we're looking at the, are we, are we saying that Nephilim are still around? Are we saying that they still have influence today? How how does all that work out? Yeah, some very very good questions. So let me just sort of rebuild that and come into our are they around today. So shortly after the flood when giants are wiped out, and I make a good case in the book that I think that they're a significant cause of the flood. And in fact, that story is the preamble to the flood story that most people don't sort of connect the dots on. And there's nothing to separate the giant story to uh, to the flood story. And in fact, you have the days of Noah encapsulated at the end of chapter 5 and then begins right after the uh giant story after verse four and then you have the flood so you have a a significant connection there but somehow these giants show up after the flood we're not told how but what does happen after the flood is you have the babel incident and you have nimrod who is almost like an antichrist archetypical figure with this babel religion which is the allegory for the end time babylon religion and where babylon takes its etymology back to And so we're not told where this religion comes from. We're not told where the knowledge to build the city comes from and that anything that they can do, speaking one language and acting as one people, is not going to be prevented from them to. And they're trying to build this tower that's going to go into heaven so that Nimrod, according to parallel, let's say, polytheist accounts, will say that if God ever gets out of line, he's going to go up to heaven and and kill God or (laughs) uh, get stepping out of line so there's never any flood. Now, as a Christian, we know that, you know, God can't be killed. But what's interesting, though, is as we start to make this connection, is that the Masons and the secret societies take their beginning back uh, after the flood to Babel as well. And that Babel is the first act of Masonry, the fifth science of geometry where Masonry comes from, with the act and the knowledge of building the tower and the city. And how they get there is that Hermes... He discovers the two pillars of Lamech and also called the two pillars of Enoch. I think more accurately Lamech, just based on the details. Um, but they find two, he finds two pillars after the flood. That leads him to the pyramids where all of the ancient knowledge that Enoch had developed, uh, in conjunction with the, in, in partnership with the fallen angels are stacked under the pyramid of nine vaults and 36,525 books as the Masonic version goes. Hermes brings this knowledge back to Babel partners with Nimrod, 
and uses this knowledge to build Babel City and Babel Tower and a rebellion of God and restart the Enochian mysticism of, of the antediluvian epoch. And then after the flood, you have Nimrod staying in Shinar, which is a transliteration for Sumer. And this, this uh, tower is built in Mesopotamia. And Hermes takes the knowledge and goes with Mizraim to Egypt. So you get this development of this knowledge and this religion in two key places after the flood, in Sumer or in Shinar and in, in Egypt. And they're going to spread this religion and organization around the world. At this point in time, according to the Masons, you have Nimrod who is going to intermarry with the Raphaim bloodlines. And the Raphaim, as they populate, are going to take over all of the nations and do some intermarrying as they do after the flood, and that's how they usurp the kingships. So what's interesting about all of this is that the Masons say that Nimrod is their first Masonic grandmaster after the flood who wrote the first constitution that all the secret society constitutions are based on after that. Yeah, that's see that that that's re- that's really interesting. Now, with, with when it comes to like secret societies and all that kind of stuff, you know, like you were saying, like they, they're all kind of have the same, you know, you know, origins, and you know, they're pointing back to the same things. How how does that, how does that tie in in the sense of like what like for somebody that's not familiar with secret societies, what are their goals? What are they what are they trying to do? And and you know, clearly, I mean, they've been around for for a long time, so clearly they've got they they've have. got something that they're, that they're trying to accomplish. Yeah, so as we look at that, one of the last lines that I said as I closed out my last set of comments, they take over the kingships after the flood. And so their descendants, whether or not they're um, multiplying with female Raphaim after that or human females and creating hybrid Raphaim as part of that upper class, they create not only the ruling class but the complete nobility class and the sort of feudal system that has reigned supreme right since the beginning of the flood and before the flood that has controlled society all the way through. So when we talk about the descendants, they would be the offspring and the generations going forth, which is why they continue to intermarry to keep those bloodlines and genealogies that they track back into prehistory and and gives them that divine right to rule. So that's where I think we should look for Nephilim in the mainstream to today, that, and that they would have a diluted look because of the intermarrying with humans over time because of blood diseases like uh, hemophiliac disease or Habsburg jaw is a classic example that they need to bring in outside lower uh, what levels of purity for the bloodlines to keep the diseases out. So that's where the, the, the descendants would come from. I'm sorry, and I forgot the, the question that you led into this with. <laughs> Um, I'm I'm to, I'm totally blanking now as well. Uh, well, you know, so it's like, but but when you're talking about like the bloodlines, is, yeah. is that is that correlating with you know everybody always talks about the thir- the thirteen bloodlines and the people that are kind of r- ruling the world and and running things really behind the scenes, is is that kind of like what you're referring to here? Well, it's that's exactly what they're referring to, gotcha. and and it's important to understand that distinction. You know, a lot of people ask me, do you believe what they say? And I say, that's not important. What's important is it's what they believe and what they're doing with that belief. So to answer your question, when people are familiar with the 13 bloodlines, they need to take a couple of steps back. 
Uh, a lot of people think it is the pseudo-bloodlines of North America or the United States in particular. Those are pseudo-bloodlines, they are lower level. Though the 13 Western bloodlines are European bloodlines of the nobility class, of the of the kings. So you might uh, envision names like Anjou, Plantagenet, Stuart, um, obviously the Hanover, the Windsor family that are ruling, and also imagine the Habsburg Lorraine and the Bourbon family. Names like that would make up the 13 families, and that would be at the head of the Western organizational structure. So you've got the 13 family heads that are running it, and these are all the heads of those families, even though you would have these greater families that, you know, would be the greater, you know, circle of that family and forming into many other royal bloodline organizations that would sort of funnel into this tree. If you can imagine a secret societal organizational structure like a tree with a trunk going up the middle and you've got at the top the 13 families and then underneath that you would have the council of 33 which again is all all pure bloods and then below that you would have the committee of 300 and then below that you have the rosicrucians with the top half being pure bloods and the lower level being not pure bloods but people have come through the mysteries and then all of the royal bloodline organizations sort of connecting back in like a branch and other extensions as you go out from that branch. And then below the Rosicrucians, you have the Illuminati. And then below the Illuminati, you have the Freemasonry Society. And then you have all these other organizations branching into those ones as they're carrying off all of these other different uh, agenda and objectives that, that they would have. And Freemasonry would be the introductory uh, organization to introduce people into the mysteries. Now, the purebloods, they're educated right from childhood within the family in the mysteries and what had be, would be considered an adept when they're in their teens, even though they can't take an adept title. And so they have a little bit different initiatory process. So Freemasonry is to bring in sort of new members or extended members of genealogies into the occult and teach them about that. When you become a Freemason adept, you are a third degree adept in the York Rite, which is the old um, levels and or the equivalent of a 33rd degree adept in the Scottish Rite. And then above that, you would have to, if you're going to oversee several uh, not Rosicrucians, several Freemasonry lodges, you would have to be a fifth degree in the old York style. And I don't know how many degrees there are. Some people have said seven, nine. I've heard as many as nine. Some people say there's 12 or 13. I can't verify that. But there are degrees higher than an adept level Freemason. Yeah. So, so you know, I, th- I think this was the question that I ha- that I was asking before too. Is when it comes to these kinds of secret societies, like ultimately, like what's what's their what's their point? What's their mission? Because I because I feel like that's one of those things where a lot of people start looking at this and they're like, it's just right. a bunch of conspiracy theory. You know what I mean? Like, you know, what's actually going on here? What's going on here is this ongoing conspiracy that began in prehistory, and even, I think, before the creation of humankind. But whenever you think the angelic rebellion took place, it's an extension thereof, and that humankind is a response to that rebellion because God works through free choice because he's 
greater than free choice and he's alpha omega and that he knows the beginning from the end. So he's going to let these everything play out. So the angelic angels, uh, a third of them, at least by Revelation 12, will have rebelled, whether or not a full, all of them rebelled at the same time or there's a continual erosion. We're not given that detail in Scripture, but we know a third rebelled. And humankind, without given immortality first and without having intimate knowledge of God, all of which the angels have had, being part of heaven and around God all of the time, humans were created without that. So they have to choose God through free choice on faith and then and choose Jesus. And so we're going to be raised higher than angels in the future time, or at least like angels, and we're going to judge the angels at least that uh, did all of these awful things to us. And so the, the conspiracy is this, not only a conspiracy in the beginning where Satan, and, and we get told this in, in Isaiah 14, where Satan wanted to be like God, to have a realm like God, to raise his throne up like God, and to you know have angels answering to him and have the same sort of organizational structures as God had, but in a different realm, or a different world, or a different universe, whatever that location is. And so, to give credibility to the angelic rebellion, and to prevent humans from being you know, raised up through the resurrection process, and adopted by Jesus as sons of God, after the resurrection, to be like angels, and to judge angels, the angels have conspired, led by Satan, to destroy humanity and to lead them away from God, to show that their rebellion was justified and to ensure there isn't somebody that's going to be raised up who they would consider an inferior being higher than them. And so they conspire, Satan first conspires by coaching uh, the Nakash uh, in Eden to bring down Adam and Eve. Uh, then you have Cain who's rebelling and is ostracized, and he kills Abel, and he starts to develop the knowledge according to the Masons and teaches his son Enoch, who builds a city named after Enoch and develops the sciences and this religion. And that is designed to lead people away from God. Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website, at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Happy Holidays from all of us at Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC. This holiday season, pay tribute to the people who fought for our freedom to celebrate. Featuring the largest American flag in the region, Spirit Park is now open at National Harbor, honoring active duty military and veterans. Take some time this holiday to remember, offer gratitude, and be inspired by the sacrifices of our service men and women who make our way of life possible. Plan your visit at nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. That's nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. We are all entitled to sexual health, just as much as physical and mental health. We want to make it easier for folks to find resources. However they engage with us, there's no wrong door. So it's important that people are able to get access to care that is affirming. Talking about what their sex life is, about their concerns, and to make sure they're healthy. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. 
Your sexual health matters. Visit doitforumc.org. And you can overlay that um, on education today because it's the same. It's the same seven sacred sciences or seven liberal arts. So their goals are through the religion and the knowledge that they're developing to lead people away from God. Number one. Number two is to not give God credit for anything. Number three is to degrade God as much as they can. And number four is to honor their pantheon of gods uh, through uh, idolatry, buildings, things like that, always to be honoring their gods. And we see that uh, taking shape even today with the Royal Society, which is the sort of the modern wedge of science and education outside the Catholic Church that came into fruition in 1660 with a charter in 1662 created by Rosicrucians and Freemasons, which uh, people should not be surprised, but they generally are when they hear that. And they called themselves the last of the sorcerers and the first of the scientists. And so when you hear about the Magi or the Egyptian priests, this is the same cult of knowledge and polytheism that controls science today that does the same things that the ancient sciences did. And it's all designed to either completely destroy humankind or to ensure that they're not going to be raised above angels. The problem is that God is Alpha Omega, and he knows the beginning from the end. And all along the way where they just tried to, to prevent humankind from completing their destiny, whether or not it's with the giants in the Exodus, whether or not it's, it's uh, uh, you know, Satan trying to lead Jesus away in the desert in the 40 days, that what they didn't, they didn't know what they didn't know. So, and, and the reason why I say that is that if they had understood the resurrection, just as 1 Corinthians talks about, they wouldn't have crucified Jesus. Because once Jesus rose from the grave, their rebellion was sealed to the lake of fire. And that's who I actually think Jesus is talking to in First Peter when he's still in the grave. And he's telling them, I think this is my adding on that your rebellion has failed. When I rise on the Sunday, you are condemned to the lake of fire. And all they can do at this point on is, is to try and destroy as many humans as possible and lead them away but before that lead them away from god but before that they were trying to uh destroy humanity so that they would never be raised to the level of angels yeah we, we, again very very interesting and i think you know you touched on the magi and you know that's something that we've that we've seen like in exodus we saw in daniel we even see, we even saw you know at, at the birth of christ um so are are we literally talking about the, when, you know, I feel like a lot of times we we talk about the Magi. It's like they're wise men. They're you know things like that. Were, is this actually a part of the conspiracy? Well, the, the if you're talking about the development of the knowledge and the polytheist religion, mm-hmm. absolutely, that's part of the conspiracy. That's the religion to honor Satan and the, and the pantheon of rebellious gods. And so when we hear the term Magi, that means priest. Right, they're the yeah. priest of a polytheist religions, and these ones came from the east. Now, whether or not these magi converted to monotheism, we're not really told in the New Testament, but they recognize through their astrology and their sciences that this represent a represented a significant birth. Uh, I'm not recommending astrology in any sort of way. I'm just uh, making uh, sort of connecting some dots so people understand what they were. Th- 
uh, talking about when they saw the star and why they wanted to go honor this new king because it's uh, it's part of their polytheist belief system. And they certainly recognized that Jesus was a significant event and the son of God. Now, I presume because they went and they honored Jesus that they converted with learning about that. But um, we have to sort of connect our own dots on that. But understand that Gnosticism, as we understand this polytheist religion today, which created theosophy, which is, you know, created the new age, is this polytheist religion that goes back to the Enochian mysticism. And the Babylon religion of the end time is this same religion, which is why you need to understand prehistory to understand some of the allegories to prophecy. And this is going to be what the religion that is going to be used to enslave humankind in the last seven years, even though Babylon gets destroyed in the midpoint, Antichrist replaces it with his own religion and worship. This is what is going to be imposed on humans, and it's going to cause the first tribulation to the saints in the first three and a half years of the last seven. Yeah. Now, now, you know, and I think kind of like when we're looking at eschatology and kind of like heading towards that, you know, it seems like there we're we're slowly getting towards this uh, this kind of crash course between biblical theology and a lot of these secret societies, which seems like they're trying to establish a one world government. Globalism seems to be the common theme happening constantly. Do you do you feel like right now we're we're seeing a lot of these their strategies and the secret societies kind of coming out and being exposed? because we are getting close to that end time. I think so, and I think the the adversarial forces are working ever more feverishly. And what people don't understand from a Christian perspective, for the most part, from what I've learned, is that they don't understand that the spurious forces who follow Satan and the fallen angels, they want to bring on the end time. They want this rendezvous with destiny. They have been told through their religions even though the angels and perhaps the demons don't, you know, they, they don't believe this, but they're lying to the humans who follow them that they can win, that they can win this war that they want to get humanity up to uh, stream on, up to par on in terms of positioning and technology. So they need a world united against God and they need technology that's going to convince people that they can actually win this war against God. And so... When we start to look at what they're doing and what they're talking about, a lot of things start to make some sense. So as we connect, let's say, the Rosicrucians back in and Francis Bacon, who is the inspirational founder to the Royal Society that we talked about, and his painting still hangs in the entrance to the Royal Society today. He wrote a book called The New Atlantis, and that's no coincidence. And in The New Atlantis, there is this world government in the end time in a future time in the new age that has a science which they create a science that they've been developing that merges with a religion which they called theosophy at that time as a as a developmental or gnosticism in the time of uh of francis bacon theosophy actually formalizes itself as a name in uh, the 1800s uh, late say around 1880 circa, and this is the religion that is to unite 
and harmonize science with the religion that's going to be part of this new age and this new government. This is the Atlantean golden age that they want to recreate with the 10 Nephilim kings, just as you have 10 kings that are talked about, 10 horns and 10 toes in Daniel and in Revelation, which is the end time beast empire that Antichrist is going to rise from and rule over in the last three and a half years of this age. And so that's what they're trying to form. They're trying to form this new Atlantis with this universal religion that's going designed to destroy the mundane parts of humanity, those who don't have the bloodlines of the descendants of the Raphaim after the flood. Yeah, you know, and it seems like, like, even just like looking at history and looking at scripture, even it seems like, you know, you had the Babylonian Empire, they were trying to take over the world. You saw, you saw it with Great Britain, you saw it with Nazi Germany, you see this over and over. And it seems like in history, they were always trying to do it through conquering the world. And it seems like this, right now, what we're seeing, it's the first time they're trying to do it just ideologically from like within. It it seems like it's a, a shift in strategy for the first time that I've really noticed. Excellent point. And uh, so even with the three antichrists of Nostradamus, who's a Rosicrucian, again, um, people need to sort of look a little deeper into things. He predicts Napoleon as an antichrist type figure and Hitler as an antichrist figure as one of the three with the end antichrist. Both Napoleon and Hitler try and take over the world doing the same thing. I won't go through the, all the details of Napoleon, but it's similar to what happens with Hitler. I mean, he is an Antichrist-type figure. He's trying to create a thousand-year reign of the Third Reich, so a fake, fake millennium. He creates the Rice Church in 1933. This is a Pan-Aryan religion that has Volkish ideology, real ideology, and Atlantean pantheism all mixed in to create this rice church where Jesus is reduced to a blonde hair, blue eyed prophet, but not the son of God. And this is the religion that they want to impose on. And he starts a Holocaust against the, you know, God's people, you know, the people of, of the Southern kingdom, in this case, uh, Judah and the tribes that went with the Southern kingdom. So it's an archetypical aspect of the end time. Now, fast forward to what's going on to what we're seeing with terms of let's set up a platform for Antichrist to take over, um, as opposed to take it over by war, which is a lot more plausible uh, uh, way of doing it, because you just can't fight hard enough and long enough by war to, to sort of get things done. And then look at an organization that intersects into that tree trunk that I talked about that's created in the late, late 1960s called the Club of Rome, who would either report to the upper end of the Rosicrucians or to the, to the Committee of 300, and made up of pure bloods and some not-so-pure bloods in the lower half of the Club of 300 that does a lot of the lake work. They divided the world up into 10 groups of nations or trading blocks or spheres of influence, whatever you want to call them. So... They did that in in the early 70s, and it's, again, it's the same number as predict, predicted in prophecy. And so they are trying to fulfill it, but for the purpose of winning their freedom, just as that movie Doctor Strange sort of does in their allegory that Earth is going to be this one place in the whole universe that won its war against the evil oppressive god of the bible as they would allegorize the god of the bible this dark force of the universe and that's that realm that satan's going to rule over that's what they're fighting for and so they've set it up with the same number and you would think that if they understood prophecy properly 
they would not do that because that's actually fulfilling what God said would happen. But they don't look at the Bible from a literal perspective. They look at it from an interpretive perspective, just as Gnosticism is an interpretive religion. And they say the Bible is a fairy tale and that the superficial story isn't the true story. And to understand the Bible properly, you need to be an adept and understand the allegories and the true meaning underneath. So they've been brainwashed to accept that as opposed to the little translation, which I think... um, you know, the early Jerusalem church and the people of uh, Israel and later Judah always read the Bible in a literal sense as opposed to uh, an interpretive sense. Yeah. Now, how, do, how does all this play out with America? Because I feel like that that's one of the debates that we're really going through today even is just, you know, like, is America a Christian nation? And, you know, we're talking about Freemasonry. And it seems like that was that was very involved in the founding of our country and things like that. So is is do you feel like America playing, you know, as we're heading into this end times kind of stuff, do you feel like America was founded as a Christian nation, free Masonic? How does all this kind of play leading into our eschatology, too? Yeah, you know, I think that America and according to the secret society, it was established as a platform to bring about the new Atlantis, to bring about uh, world government. And it's to be the model for a world government where you have independent states with one strong central um, federal government. And so the Constitution and the country is established that protects religions, but as a Constitution that was crafted, and I like to use that word uh, appropriately because uh, the Masonic uh, belief system and societies like to call themselves the craft. So if you hear anything like witchcraft, you know that's all part of that same belief system, right? And so the Constitution protects religion generally, and and as Christians, we you know we think about that as protecting Christianity. But what we're finding out is the constitutions and all the constitutions thereafter around the world are based off the American Constitution, that they don't necessarily protect Christian religion, and that there are bombs that that have been woven in there that are now we're starting to see being used against us, and that uh, what we talk about or what we believe in in the Bible is actually hate speech. And you're going to see more and more of that go along as part of the birth pang uh, of the of the fig tree generation that's going to be part of what goes on as they start to prepare for the babylon religion so we need to understand that 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 wasn't the goal of the creators and so many of them were masons to begin with and we need to understand that their goals were about their own religion and their own belief system and their own agenda now america people need to i think uh, would be wise to, again to take a step back and take more of a globalist view because the end time happens to the whole world and everything is centered around Israel, Judah, and Jerusalem. So we need to understand that that's the center of the world, not North America or not America. And a lot of people believe that America is Babylon or New York City is Babylon. America will play a significant role as they're playing right now in the end time, as I understand it. But they'll be part of this 10 groups of nation or trading block nations or spheres of influence. And they may be the most dominant group, but they'll encapsulate Canada, perhaps Britain, 
you know, as I speculate with Britain leaving the EEC and Mexico may stay in here, or maybe part of a Central America or South America. And however those 10 end up, America will play a large role, but it'll be one of 10. And, and we need to understand that. And that Babylon is not America. Babylon, according to my understanding of scripture, and I read it literally, and my approach is to place everything around what Jesus said, not vice versa. And my approach is to use all the passages, not just the convenient ones to derive a preconceived conclusion. You need to include even the inconvenient ones so that it all makes sense, because there can be no contradictions in, in, in Scripture or in Bible. So uh, I come at it from that sort of perspective. So what we do know about Babylon of the end time is that it is one that sits on many waters, and its allegories as defined in the Bible. That's another one of the things I do is describe all the allegories within the Bible. And we understand about the prostitute and allegories like that, that that goes back into the Old Testament, where it's described as these polytheist religions that I was talking about earlier. She sits on many waters, and she rides the seven empires and controls uh, those kingdoms all throughout history, which is that organizational structure I talked about earlier of the king, the mystical religion, the develop of the knowledge, and the pantheon of gods. They all work together before the flood, after the flood, when all the kingships have been usurped. And this end-time empire is going to also have Babylon riding it as this religion. So Babylon is a religion, the first thing, and it's going to be part of the organizational structure that actually permits the ability of the ten empire, ten king empire to come together. So you need the Babylon religion first. It's also a system, and there are parts of the beast system, right? But the system that uh, Babylon has will control all of the economic trade for at least the first three and a half years of the last seven and probably a few years before, and we'll take a tribute off of every transaction as the conspirators say that they're going to do, like a value-added tax, sort of as, as an analogy, and that's how it grows rich. And this is part of that beast system that Antichrist is going to take over, and the beast represents not only Antichrist as a beast, but the beast empires and the beast system that all comes together with the mark of the beast and then the Antichrist ruling over. So it is developing this, this political and economic system that's going to control the ten kings of the end time. And it's a city. And we get told it's a city in Revelation uh, 17, um, and also in Revelation 18 when it's being destroyed. And we know Babylon is destroyed at the midpoint of the last seven years because it's destroyed by the ten kings partnering to give their power for one hour with the beast. And we know it's a city because it's called a city at the end of Revelation 17, and it's destroyed just as it's called a city several times in Revelation 18. So it's a city, it's a religion, and it's a political and economic system that prepares the platform that you were talking about for Antichrist to ascend to power through the first three and a half years of the last seven, and then to be crowned in the temple at the midpoint and, you know, destroy Babylon because he partners with the ten kings at the midpoint and replaces it with a religion that honors a god of forces. That's another rabbit hole that 
I won't go into today. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you know, talking about eschatology, you know, in this, I think this kind of leads me into one of the other questions I wanted to ask you. I, I've had multiple people that wanted me to ask you about your view on the tribulation and wh- when is that going to come? You know, like, you know, I feel like the majority of people that it's either going to be, you know, pre-trib or they talk about like all mill or, you know, certain things like that. But what's your take on the actual uh, rapture? Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Happy Holidays from all of us at Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC. This holiday season, pay tribute to the people who fought for our freedom to celebrate. Featuring the largest American flag in the region, Spirit Park is now open at National Harbor, honoring active duty military and veterans. Take some time this holiday to remember, offer gratitude, and be inspired by the sacrifices of our service men and women who make our way of life possible. Plan your visit at nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. That's nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a great discussion point. Certainly within Christianity, way too many times it's a dividing aspect of Christianity. It's not a faith issue, uh, so we need to respect everybody's position on it because everybody says that they come about rapture timing based on scripture. Uh, again, my approach is a little bit different. Um, what I find than what a lot of people do because I like to include all of the verses and I like to put things around what Jesus said. Um, and so when I look at that, uh, you know, I pray for pre-trib. I hope for pre-trib. But my research says slightly after the midpoint and that where people get a little bit confused on it is, is they don't, or they've been convinced to set aside the chronology that Jesus lays down. And then they also forget that there's two tribulations. And that's one of the key things that people don't understand. And that when you look at Matthew 24, for example, in verse 9, you get this word affliction. And Mark doesn't use a word there. But this word affliction goes back to the Greek word uh, philippis. And that's G2437. And what's interesting about that is that's the same word that is used for tribulation. And then when you look at in Mark 2421, uh, where it has tribulation being used, and it's talking about a similar type of events, and this is leading in, in the last half, and it'll be the second uh, great tribulation that... Uh, Matthew 24, 30 talks about, Mark 13, 24 calls this affliction. So understand there's an interchangeability of this word, but it all means the same thing. So you have this description of this first tribulation in the first three and a half years, and then you have a great tribulation of the last three and a half years, but not to be con- to, to conflate any of these with the wrath of God. Uh, although in the second half there's going to be a period of the wrath of God that we're going to be saved from, we're told throughout Scripture that we're going to suffer tribulation and we should expect tribulation. 
And again, all the times that tribulation and affliction are used, they're used interchangeably. And I've got examples for people if they want any information on this. I have a great uh, set of documents on this that lays it out. So what is going on here is we have in Revelation 6, you have the first uh, fruits, just as the 24 elders, I think, are the first fruits. And we're told that the resurrection comes in a process, um, that uh, you have Christ, the first fruits, and then when he comes, those who are still alive and those who, who uh, have, have died in Jesus. So we get the 24 elders that are raised, because they're there when John sees them in the, in the vision. And then in Revelation 6, we see these martyrs who have died for Jesus. So I think the 24 elders probably died for Jesus as well as part of the first fruits. But they're told to be patient a little while. For those martyrs or those first fruits to be fulfilled. And we see those in Revelation 7, and we're instructed these come out of the tribulation which Jesus is talking about in Matthew 24, 7 or 6 through uh, 15 before you have the abomination, which is the midpoint according to what Daniel talks about. And Jesus instructs us to look up Daniel to understand for the timing and, and, and the events. And so this happens in the first three and a half years. And the first fruits also include... I think the 144,000, because in Revelation 14, they're called first fruits. And I also think it includes the two witnesses. So those commissions are all three and a half years, which is that first tribulation. And then you have the abomination. And then you have what happens after is even worse than what happened before, which is what Jesus is describing. And then we get the sign. And so when I start including... And I won't go through all the, the rapture narratives, but when you include all the rapture narratives and put it around what Jesus said, the timing and things start to make sense. And it also makes sense of Second Thessalonians uh, 2, 1 through 7, where it has, uh, don't be concerned, where it talks about, don't be concerned about the time of his coming and the gathering, which is the gathering of the people, because you have to have the great apostasy, the falling away first, which is a rebellion, which is the first three and a half years of the Babylon reign and probably even a few years before, which may be what Revelations is talking about, 10 days of tribulation. If you understand a day is a year, that there might be three years before and then the last seven years. And then you have, um, after the abomination you have uh, jesus's sign coming where he's going to you know you're going to have well, i was talking about second thessalonians and then you have the crowning of uh, the uh, antichrist in the temple and then you have uh the coming of jesus as it clearly explains it and clearly falls in place with the chronology that jesus has laid out and when you start to overlay all the other prophecies, whether or not it's about trumpets or it's a thief in the night or signs, banners, trumpets uh, that are Old Testament uh, prophecies. Uh, also, when not only the world mourns, but Judah mourns for the one that they pierced. You'll overlay all of these verses, and I can't go through all of them today. Uh, it all starts to line up perfectly. Revelations, all prophecies line up perfectly if you understand 
the chronologies is, is laying out. And then you also don't get trapped into thinking that we're already into the time of the seals. We may be in the fig tree generation, which I think we are, which I would start at the taking of Jerusalem because Jerusalem is required in all end time prophecy. We are in the birth pangs. And so when we look at COVID right now, that would be a birth pangs as, as part of what they're described as, as the beginning of sorrows, where you have earthquakes, pandemics, or pestilence, I should say, um, wars and rumors of wars and, 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 uh, famine. And those all tend to be sort of interconnected. So as these start to intensify in the birth pangs, uh, and start working together, uh, we'll see us getting closer to that last seven years and the opening of the seals, just as the seal judgments encompass all of those birth pangs. Now you're at a level of 25% destruction, so that intensity is increasing. The trumpets are 33% increasing. The wrath bowls, which come in the last half, are 100%, except Jesus steps in and shorten those days or nobody would survive. So that's what I try and do. When I look at, uh, you know, what I would like to happen versus what I understand scripture seems to be telling me is, is, is going to happen, I have to decide on what scripture is telling me and put aside my preconceived views. Yeah, and that, and that and that makes total sense too, you know, because one of the things that I, you know, I've always kind of gone back and forth between pre-trib and, and mid-trib, essentially, you know, eschatology-wise, and I feel like for me, you know, kind of like what you're saying, it's like you hope you hope for pre, but I'd rather, you know, my thought is I'd rather be pleasantly surprised that, that he comes early than be disappointed that he's going to come later, kind of a thing. Um, but but the yeah. other side of it too is that do you feel like like a pre-trib theology is is potential for for danger looking looking into eschatology yes. in in the sense of like yeah. you know e- even the elect being deceived because if we think we're going to be gone and all of a sudden here's this guy that's coming around bringing peace and you know whatever it is that he's going to be promising us and we're like well we're still here so clearly he's not the antichrist do you feel yeah. like that's a really dangerous setup yeah it is and it's going to be used i think unfortunately against the saints and when we look at uh, the signing or the confirming of the covenant that starts the last seven years uh, at the end, uh, as Daniel says, and you take that back, and that's the end of time as you take that back to Hebrew. So we know it's the last seven years set aside. Antichrist confirms the last seven years. So I think Christians are going to be pointing at him three and a half years before he's crowned, and he's actually revealed, as Second Thessalonians talks about, and at the abomination that Jesus is talking about and, and Daniel is talking about, and that uh, even though Christians may be right, they're going to be, look like they've been discredited, and they're going to say, just as is talked about in the book of Peter, where is this coming? Right? This world, and then it leads into the prophecy of the world reserved to be destroyed by fire, but um, which is the end time, you know, uh, judgments that are all part of the seals and the trumpets and, and the wrath bowls. And so we're going to let people down by being overzealous with the wrong timing. And there's going to be more than just the one Antichrist as well. There's going to be, as Jesus says, many Antichrists. And we're going to be pointing to this one and that one and lose credibility as as we go through. And so we can't get too far over our heels. We need to be a little bit patient and we need to understand that we're going to suffer tribulation and that when Antichrist confirms the covenant, he starts his rise to power. 
we're going to be right on that. But how even the elect is going to be deceived with Christianity um, being suppressed at that time by Babylon and Christians standing up and rebelling and being looked as mundane people not able to uh, vibrate or uh, transform into godhood, which is what Babylon and Antichrist are promising with, with their religion. They're going to be, we're going to receive a, a genocide, just as we're told by 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 Jesus in in the first three and a half years that we talked about for the first tribulation. But there's also going to be Revelation nine being opened up with the abyss, and you're going to have wars going on, and you're going to have this war in Revelation nine. And again, Revelation is to be read literally with defining it within the Bible, and then put it around what Jesus said. And you have Abaddon, Apollyon coming out of the abyss, right? And the one who comes out of the abyss actually is the one who kills the two witnesses for three days before they're resurrected. It's the one who uh, is also connected to Antichrist as the one who once was, now is not, but comes up out of the abyss. But we know it's a he. We know he receives a mortal head wound, so he's also human. So there's a connection to Abaddon and the human in the end time. And... We also know that there's a 200 million man war in Revelation 9. And we know that Joel 1 and 2 lines up perfectly with that Revelation 9 war with the description. We know Joel 3 and 4 is the Armageddon war. And this also lines up very well with the Gog war that happens in Ezekiel 38 and 39. It says in the latter days in chapter 38, and it also talks about 2nd Exodus in chapter 39. So we know the timing is before 2nd Exodus. And so when we look at that as being this war of 200 million people, 200 million man army, this is the war that Antichrist is going to take credit for and is going to offer in an age of peace and safety after taking credit for that war. And as Luke describes and Daniel describes, he invades the land of the covenant, surrounds Jerusalem with his armies, and that's the time of the abomination and the crowning. So he's going to be coming back as a counterfeit Jesus with a counterfeit Armageddon. So all of this other stuff that uh, is being done before to discredit Christians, the Babylonian religion is in preparation for the counterfeit Armageddon and Antichrist taking credit for it and crowning himself as Jesus, which starts the last three and a half years. And then we get the mark of the beast, and towards the end of the last three and a half years, you get the the, the wrath bulls. Yeah. And, so, and the so, year of the Lord's favor. Right, right, right. Now, now for, you know, Christians that, you know, like, you know, they're watching this, and, you know, we're, ta- we're talking about a lot, you know, secret societies, Nephilim, and eschatology, and all that kind of stuff. Practically speaking, I think I think sometimes people become not disheartened, but like almost like they don't they don't really care. Apathetic, maybe a little bit to a certain degree, because they're like, okay, well, all of this is happening. God's in control. I don't need to worry about it. Practically speaking, yeah. as Christians, how should we be viewing all this kind of stuff, and how involved or not involved should we be in trying to be involved in these changes that our society is going through in America and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. I think we should be pushing back. Uh, I think we should be, um, but we need to be role modeling who we are. And we need to be inviting people into um, accepting what Jesus said and what God has said and what Scripture has, has told us and to believe in Jesus and into God. We need to role model that. So we can't be screaming at the top of our lungs. We can't be role modeling in a way that doesn't 
represent what we're trying to get people to join. And so we need to stand up, tell the truth, but plant seeds. We can't convince everybody. We know we can't. We should not want to be part of those last seven years and the tribulation that comes with it because it's going to be absolutely horrific. And nobody should want to pray for that. Um, we do want Jesus to come back, and we have to go through this. But how we represent ourselves as we go through all of this is going to be key. And if we don't represent ourselves properly after Antichrist confirms the last seven years with the covenant that sets up the world government under the control of Babylon, then we're not going to convince people what we're talking about is accurate because we're going to say he's antichrist and we're going to be raptured right now. <laughs> and that doesn't happen in, if my understanding of scripture is, is correct and that's going to discredit our testimony. So prophecy tends to happen in ways that people don't expect it to happen. And so we don't want to be too dogmatic. We, you know, we, we need to understand directionally. We need to explain scripture, but we should expect some surprises. And the best example I can give of that is the southern kingdom whose control of Judea at the time of the birth of Jesus had all of these prophecies about the Messiah who would become Jesus, both being born into this world, being crucified, and then coming back again at the end time. And yet, studying those scriptures every day, a nation set up of, of priests to understand scripture and honor God and be ready for the coming of their Messiah, rejected their Messiah. If they can be deceived, just think how easily we could be deceived. Yeah, that, that, that's, a, that's a very good point. Um, now, you know, if, for, if people want more information on you or want to follow your writings or want to, you know, get your book or, you know, anything along those lines, what's the best way for them to do that? The best way to contact me is through my website at the Genesis6Conspiracy.com. That's Genesis6 with the number 6Conspiracy.com. And on the website, I have a generous excerpt of all 98 chapters, so you can get a very good feel uh, for the book and see whether it's a book for you. And if you wanted to get a signed copy, you can get a link over to the Buy Now icon and get a signed copy. Or you could link over to Kindle and get the Kindle version if you want a digital or to barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com. And on the website, there's also um, a contact the author uh, with an email there. So if you uh, wanted to ask me any questions about what I was talking about today or get some more information, uh, particularly on any of the things that I might have been talking about today, I generally tend to have a lot of detailed backup documents. So if you wanted, like I have a two-part um, series on the two tribulations, and I walked everybody through that step by step. It's not for the people who don't want detail, because it's got a lot of detail in it and a lot of scriptures. So if you want some information, get a hold of me through the website, or you can get a hold of me on Facebook under Gary Wayne. And again, my timeline is open, so if you want to post a question there or post anything on, on my timeline, it's open, and or message me on Messenger. Or you can also get a hold of me or follow me on Twitter, at Gary Wayne 63 at Gary Wayne 63 If you're asking a question or if you want some information, I will definitely get back to you. 
please don't send me videos because I probably get 200 a day that I I can't look at yeah. all of them anyway. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I I know what that's like. Uh, so uh, you know, Gary, I really appreciate you coming on. I really enjoyed this conversation. It's always fascinating. Uh, you know, really diving into these kinds of topics and stuff. But we'll de- we'll definitely have to do it again sometime. Thank you for having me. So hopefully uh, we've raised some curiosity out there because that was the whole whole intent. So that people will dig deeper into scripture and be a little bit more as in the Berean mm-hmm. aspect and verify scripture and uh, be more of a contrarian. No, absolutely. And that's the thing that I keep saying over and over and over again is don't just trust like what I say. Don't just trust what any guest says or anything like that. Always go back to scripture. Like if, if the Bereans could question the Apostle Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, we should be able to question all of us. <laughs> exactly. And I and I encourage everybody to test everything that I say. It's all about a learning process. So, And if somebody were to come back to me and say, well, what about this? And if it didn't quite fit into what I was saying, my process, because I, I, I you know, it has to include all of the, the verses, I have to find a way to make that work or I have to change that view a little bit. Absolutely. So, but yeah, thanks again for coming on, Gary. I really appreciate it. Uh, re- really enjoyed the conversation. Um, and then for everybody else that's out there as well, that's, uh, that, that's watching, uh, thanks so much for tuning in. Make sure you guys like, subscribe, all the good stuff. Uh, it really helps us out as well. Helps you to be able to, you know, keep in touch, uh, with us when we've got, um, you know, other guests coming on. Um, just looking up the next time we're going to be back for another conversations with Jeff. We're going to be back, uh, next Thursday. That'll be June 4th. We've got Dr. Andy Woods coming on. I'm sure we'll get into some good ex- eschatology there as well. Uh, it's, it's always a blast having Andy on. So uh, thanks so much for tuning in, and we will see you guys next time. Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Happy Holidays from all of us at Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC. The holidays are a moment of togetherness and joy and a reminder of how tradition creates happy and fulfilled communities. Make this holiday season patriotic with a visit to National Harbor and its stunning new Spirit Park. Marvel at one of the largest American flags in the region and beautiful displays of American art. Make this holiday season the most meaningful of all at National Harbor. Learn more at nationalharbor.com spiritpark